Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver. Again, today's show, and I'm probably, I've probably talked about this on social media beforehand, is not live. So as I always say, when I do a uh, show pre-recorded, if there's anything crazy that's happened within the last six hours, I'm recording this at about noon Eastern. Uh, if there's anything that's happened in the last six hours, the world sports, I am aware of it. Just not the time you are listening to me or watching me. We have got as packed of a Friday show as you could possibly imagine. Certainly on the eve of the college football season, at least a week from it. And two weeks away, less than two weeks away now officially from the NFL season. Getting to get into my man Kenny Pickett. How good he did he look in the preseason? My goodness. Going to get into him later in the show. Also going to talk about Dak Prescott and uh, Greg Olson. Props to Greg Olson of Fox Sports, the number one uh, analyst for the network, called this this past Super Bowl. Uh, he's talking about how a let, let's not put all the playoff losses on Dak Prescott. And he's 100% right. I'll get into him later, uh, him talking about Dak later in today's show. Also, NFC North strengths and weaknesses. As you guys know, I've been going division by division, strengths and weaknesses for all four teams. So today, it's Vikings, Lions, Packers, Bears going to get into the weaknesses and the strengths of all four. And most importantly, about a little less than a half hour from now, Preston Moore. He works for KFDA News Channel 10 in Amarillo, Texas. He's a big Cowboys fan. He covers the team. Big Spurs fan. Definitely going to get into Wimby with him, as well as a plethora of other NFL and NBA topics. Very excited to have him on the show today. He'll be stopping by in a little less than a half hour. But first, I will tell you this about the NBA. They have done a spectacular job of this being the dead space of the calendar and they're giving us topics. Giannis Antetokounmpo was interviewed by the New York Times. And this is a big story. Because in a few weeks, he's going to be eligible for a three-year, $173 million contract extension. He was asked, will he sign it? And he said, quote, the real question is going to be this year. Numbers-wise, it doesn't make sense. But next year, summer, uh, next year, next summer, it would make more sense for both parties. Even then... I don't know. I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know what, that everybody's on the same page. Everybody's going for a championship. Everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. And if I don't feel that, I'm not signing. That is a statement from Giannis Antetokounmpo. There's no question about it. Now, as far as what he's looking, uh, how it looks on his current contract, and he sort of alluded to this that I'll get into in just a moment. So he's under contract for this coming season and the next season, but for the 2025-2026 year, he'll be 31 years old, by the way, uh, he has a player option for a contract to pay him almost $52 million. He can opt out of that or opt into it, and then he'd be, if he were to opt in, he'd be an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 2026, three years from now. So, first of all, from a money standpoint, and Giannis alluded to this, it doesn't make any sense for him whatsoever to sign the extension now. You say, well, three years, $173 million. We know what Giannis is thinking. Wait, 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 time out, time out. Uh, I saw Anthony Davis get a contract that's going to pay him $62 million a year, and you want me to sign a contract that's worth $57 million a year. Now, AD is spectacular. At his, at his peak, he's a fringe top five player in the NBA. The problem is he's all over the place. That's why I call him Quinn Flip Davis. That's why I have him just outside of my top 10. Giannis is, of course, undeniably a top three player in all of basketball. So from a number standpoint, Giannis is right. Doesn't make any sense. He he shouldn't sign the deal until you know he can get the, the most that he absolutely can. But if you remember, I certainly do because I covered it extensively on my show. During the bubble, 
Remember that bubble thing? The games were coming on at noon. It was really weird, and there were no fans and stuff. It was a very weird time for sports or for the NBA. Point is, during the bubble, remember when Milwaukee was the number one seed, they were the odds-on favorite to win the Eastern Conference. I never bought into them all year. They went down to the Miami Heat in five games in the second round. Giannis actually got hurt in that series. Milwaukee lost to Miami team that got to the NBA Finals that year. And I remember talking about that on my show and, and saying, like, th- this feels like it's the end for Giannis in Milwaukee. He's going to play this upcoming season, and then he's going to leave in free agency. As it turned out, he signed a long-term extension, the five-year extension. Not before, however, and this is where I think it's interesting. Not before, a month prior to him signing the extension. What did they do? What did the Milwaukee Bucks do? Actually helped them win a championship in a big way. They traded for Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday, who is probably the best two-way guard in the National Basketball Association. All-star level player, good score, tremendous defender, and has become the second best player on the box to Giannis. He's, he's supplanted Chris Middleton in that regard. Middleton has struggled to stay healthy. Isn't it funny the parallels between the Bucks in 2020 and in 2023? Losing five games to the Miami Heat, who make the finals that year. Giannis gets hurt in both series. Now, by the way, for the record, and I talked about this at length, when the day after Milwaukee got beat by Miami this year, I said this a, a bulk of the blame has to go on Giannis because he, he played bad in the fourth quarter in game four and was horrible in the fourth quarter in overtime of game five, certainly at the free throw line. So it's not to absolve blame uh, from Giannis. Like, he, he did not play well enough uh, to win that series against the Miami Heat. 2020 or 2023. But I give a lot of credit to Giannis. Not just from a business standpoint. That makes all the sense in the world. But essentially saying, hey, I, I'm not satisfied with the one championship. We're in an Eastern Conference that, as I have stated religiously, I don't care what anybody says, is better than the Western Conference today. Milwaukee's a contender. Boston's a contender. Knicks are getting better. Heat are a contender with or without Damian Lowe. They get Dame. They might be the favorites in the East for all we know. All these teams out East that are absolutely contenders to potentially win the NBA championship. And Giannis is looking at like, okay, we're going backwards. We won the championship two years ago. Lost in the second round, but Chris Middleton went down. The series went seven. Giannis played amazing against Boston. Just Boston had more horses than Milwaukee did. But then this year, we have the best record in the NBA, just like we did in 2020. And just like we did in 2020, we lose the Miami Heat in five games, despite being the more talented basketball team. Now, they brought in, I think, Adrian Griffin, if I'm not mistaken, is the new head coach's name. Brought a new new head coach to replace uh, Coach Bud. We'll see how that works out when it's all said and done. But Giannis is looking at this from the perspective of, I've got options. Milwaukee's great. We've heard Giannis loves Milwaukee. Why do you think he was so emotional when the Bucs won the championship? It was eighth year in the league. And, you know, he was like Milwaukee's adopted son. He's this kid from Greece. And the city just embraces him. And he wanted to win a championship so bad for him. He said it wouldn't feel right to win a title for another franchise. Well, mission accomplished. He has. And he did. But what's beyond this? Is the ceiling for Milwaukee sort of like the ceiling with Kareem when they had Kareem about 50 years ago, when Kareem was like, yeah, this, I, I don't know if I can win multiple titles here. Got one with Oscar, but I don't know if I can win multiple. Maybe Giannis is thinking the same thing. The Knicks have the cap space. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not ruling out the Golden State Warriors might make something happen. You know, just throwing it, throwing it out there. You know, listen, Clay Thompson takes up a lot of money, and I love Clay. Love Clay. 
But Clay Thompson takes up a lot of money. That, uh, that salary cap, the luxury tax, and et cetera. You, know, you can make that happen. A Seth Giannis duo. That'd be, that'd be some. That'd be some. So I like that Giannis is putting pressure. Listen, is he, a, is he implying that the Bucks should go after Dame? That they should trade a Chris Middleton and some future assets, some draft picks to, uh, to Portland for Damian Lillard? Maybe. A Dame Giannis duo is absolutely no doubt the favorite to win the Eastern Conference. Matter of fact, it might take Miami completely out of the mix because they're hinging uh, all of their hopes on getting Dame because they've lost a lot of their depth from this past season. So I don't know. It, maybe it's just because the story, and again, he did the interview with the New York Times. Maybe it's just because the article came out yesterday, and so we haven't had a, a ton of time to react to it. But I feel like this is a sneaky big story coming into this NBA season. The Giannis said straight up, I'm not signing an extension. And I don't think it's just for the money reasons. The fact that I mean, he could have just said from a number standpoint, it doesn't make sense, and then moved on. He is sending a message publicly to the Milwaukee Bucks the same way that Damian Lillard did with the Blazers, and they weren't able to get talent. And LeBron is done with the Cavs. They never got him a, a second true co-star in free agency, certainly, or through a trade. So I, I think that's Giannis is playing the LeBron and Dame card. Small market. It's hard to attract free agents. But I think he's saying Dame's on the market. Dame doesn't want to be in Portland. Remember Dame did that interview just yesterday or the day before with Mark Spears, who's a tremendous journalist. And he was saying, I, I, don't, even, I don't want to talk about Portland. So he, he's done. He, he's not playing, putting on a Portland Trailblazers uniform again, so he says. Why doesn't Milwaukee get into the Damian Lillard sweepstakes? It makes sense. I'd love to see it. I mean, not for the sake that if my Warriors meet the Bucks in the finals, not saying that's my prediction, but if that were to be the case, and that's certainly a possibility, I wouldn't love to see Damon Giannis. Giannis is enough for me. It's, he's already tough to guard as is. But that would be a very, very fascinating uh, situation. And I think Giannis is, is trying to really push that for the Bucks to do. So, very interesting. Like I said, feel free to comment. Again, the show is not live today. So, 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific time. is starting at that time right now. I'm recording this at about noon Eastern, a little, little before noon. It's about 11.45 a.m. Eastern time uh, here on the East Coast. Again, we've got a loaded show. Preston Moore stopping by in about 15 minutes to talk Cowboys and to talk uh, Spurs. Great dude. Very excited to have him on. Also going to talk Kenny Pickett's preseason. He, listen, I don't know if you saw last night and you've seen the I, – I don't want to read too much into preseason, but the kid looked okay. The kid looked okay. Here's what I do want to talk about, and this will be a perfect segue into when our next guest gets here. Dak Prescott, Rain Dakota Prescott. Matter of fact, let me swap the Steelers hat uh, for my Dak hat because I, I gotta, I gotta show support to my guy. As I said when I made the announcement that I was going to root for the Pittsburgh Steelers for the rest of my life, I said that doesn't mean I'm ditching Dak. That doesn't mean my role in my role in in supporting Dak is going to change. So you got the bobblehead back here. Yeah, listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to ditch the guy that I believed in since even before he was a Dallas Cowboy. But, of course, he gets heat, lots of it, in large part, because he's the quarterback of the Cowboys. We understand the backlash and the criticism that comes with that. It is what it is. But Greg Olson was doing an interview, and he was talking to Rich Eisen on Rich Eisen's show earlier this week. And, again, Greg Olson, former NFL tight end, Pro Bowl-level player, is now the number one uh, TV analyst for Fox with Kevin Burkhart, does a tremendous job. I I've said that if you know Tom Brady signed the deal with Fox to be their number one analyst, 
I feel bad for Greg because he's that great. And I, I could see a scenario in which he were to potentially go to another network because he's that good, he's that talented, and certainly wish him the best. But he was on Rich Eisen's show, and he said, quote, I've always been a big fan of Dak. I like him personally. Every time I meet with him for production meetings and whatnot, I come away impressed with his demeanor, his approach, and his mentality. He also explained that the extra knock-on Prescott is due to the team he plays for. He said, quote, you are playing quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. I think the expectations and the spotlight doesn't get any bigger in sports than that position and that franchise. Secondly, and this is justified, it seems like in those playoff moments, things kind of fall short. I don't think that all of those playoff losses fall on his shoulders. Also something too, and Greg Olson agrees with me on this, it would certainly appear. He's talking about Kellen Moore, who's... No longer the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys. He's now in Los Angeles with Justin Herbert. Again, my condolences to, to my man, Justin Herbert. But he was talking about this. He said, quote, they, the Cowboys, they've been a top five offense for the last couple of years, but Kellen Moore wanted to throw it. He was going to put the ball in Dak's hands as much as he could, and when you throw it 40-plus times a game, you're going to have a couple turnovers. So There you go. And I've said, listen, when people talk about, oh, the more Dak throws, the, the, the worse his numbers look, or the more uh, turnovers he has. Uh, isn't that the case for essentially any quarterback not named Mahomes and Burrow? Their numbers would certainly bear that out. Check Allen's numbers when he throws 40 times a game. It's Even Brady's aren't the best. Point is, I appreciate Greg Olson. If, this, if I had seen this quote before Wednesday's show, again, carving it up, moving from Thursday to Wednesday now, the middle week episode. If I had seen this before Wednesday, this would have absolutely been carving up the context because we talk about, oh, Dak is two and four in the playoffs. Uh, Cowboys have failed to qualify for an NFC championship game in the last 28 years, I believe. Dak has obviously been a part of that. We understand. But this notion that he is this James Harden-esque playoff choker is, is simply false. It's simply false. Uh, if you look at, if we can pull up the numbers here uh, of Dak Prescott, because his his bugaboo, his Achilles heel, so to speak, has been the San Francisco 49ers. So let's show his numbers against the 49ers in the playoffs because they're not great. Oh, that that's my, my bad. This is this is it right here. We go. Two touchdowns, three picks, only completes 57% of his passes, 230 yards per game, and a pass rating of 66. That's bad. That, those are not good numbers by any stretch of the imagination. That's I can't defend that. Didn't think he played terribly in the first Niners playoff game. He did in the second one. Said it the next day on the show. But Dak against everybody else, which has been Packers, Seahawks, Rams, Bucks. Packers, Seahawks, Rams, Bucks. Here's his numbers. Nine touchdowns, two picks, completes 67% of his passes, throws for about 274, 75 yards per game, and has a pass rating of 107. He's an elite player against everybody else. You say, well, Bryce, well, you got to get past the 49ers, get to the NFC title game. You got to get past the 49ers if the Cowboys want to make any kind of run. Aaron Rodgers' numbers against San Francisco in the playoffs. Have you, you checked those? Have you checked Geno Smith's numbers against the San Francisco 49ers? Heck, Jalen Hurts' numbers. Weren't mind-boggling. This is a defense in San Francisco that has shut down essentially every great quarterback they've played outside of Patrick Mahomes. And even Mahomes in the Super Bowl, Mahomes was bad through the first three quarters. He had a big fourth quarter, props to him. But that Niners defense shut him down for three quarters. 
This is the defense Dak is going against with, at least last year, aside from C.D. Lamb, subpar weapons. Michael Gallup was still coming off a knee injury. T.Y. Hilton, God bless somebody, was old and, and, and kind of beat up. You had other guys like Noah Brown, who was a liability, had had hands like he had a, uh, I wonder if his gloves had, had soap on him at times. Dalton Schultz is a good tight end. He's not Jason Witten. Certainly what Jason Witten was when Dak came into the league and Zeke was washed. And the offensive line was bottom of the league in pass block win rate. That's why it was big that they brought back Zach Martin. We often, listen, when you lose a playoff game, the attention is going to go to the quarterback. The attention is going to go to the head coach. We understand that. But when we put together false narratives such as Dak's bad in the... I've posed this before. What would happen if Dak Prescott, let's just say for the sake of argument, he had a 27 to nothing lead in a playoff game on the road and was throwing darts out there. It was looking great. We were like, oh my God, look at Dak Prescott. And he scored three points in the second half and his team, excuse me, lost the game. Uh, how would uh how would we view Dak Prescott if if that were to to be the case? Because um that's what Justin Herbert did against Trevor Lawrence. I feel like that should count for something. And I love Justin Herbert. I was a big Justin Herbert guy the second he came in the league. I said this guy's gonna be a star quarterback. He's big. He's strong. He's got a big arm. Uh, he's, he's accurate. He's a great leader. He's mobile. He's got all the whole package. Justin Herbert, I said, was going to become a star quarterback in the league, and he's done just that. Can you imagine if Dak had lost a 27-0 lead? They'd, he'd never hear about the for, for the We still criticize him to this day. To this day. For a game against the Philadelphia Eagles in 2019. Remember when Dak didn't play well in that game? He had the shoulder, but he didn't play well against Philly. Only scored nine points. They lost the division. That wasn't even a playoff game. Dak didn't play well, but it wasn't as if he had this big first half and then just fell apart in the second half. Now, some of that, again, too, with the Chargers was coaching, and, and Brandon Staley cannot be defended in that regard. Can you imagine if Dak Prescott at home as the league MVP scored 10 points, and when his defense did not – let me pose it this way. When the team he's playing – does not score an offensive touchdown. And you still lose the game. Aaron Rodgers did just that against the exact same 49ers defense. For the record, Dak, not terribly impressive, but he scored 17 on the 49ers. Aaron Rodgers, the MVP of the league, scored 10. It's relevant to a certain degree. So I think when we have these discussions regarding Dak and his, his playoff resume, his playoff record, I think we need to look at it with more nuance and say that, again, that last game against San Francisco, I came, I'm came. i the biggest Dak fan in the world. I came on my show the very next day. You can look it up. I said, this one's on him. This is not on Mike McCarthy. This is not on the defense. This is not on uh, Jerry Jones or the running game or Tony. It's on Dak. Dak didn't play well. Dak missed throws. Dak only dropped 12 points. I know the Niners' defense is great. 12 points. Uh, Seattle scored more than that. I, I, the next day, I said, this is on Rain Dakota Prescott. Every other game, he's given his team a chance to win. First ever playoff game was against the great Aaron Rodgers in the heart of his prime. Dropped 31 points on that Packers defense. 
you know, led that obviously led that drive to uh to, to, to score uh, or to, to kick the field goal to tie it at 31. And Aaron Rodgers makes one of the greatest throws uh, in the history of the National Football League to Jared Cook on the sideline, and Green Bay wins the game. But Dak played more that he had over 300 yards, three touchdowns, had the run for the two-point conversion. He was excellent in that game. Year after, Seattle Seahawks. Dak was fine. You know, he threw a touchdown. Uh, did he throw a touchdown pass? I think he did. Uh, played pretty well in that game against Seattle. And then it gets down to a third and 14. Remember this? And Dak Prescott tries the, the quarterback draw, gets the first down, ends up getting the, the touchdown, the quarterback sneak the next play. Dallas beats a very good Seattle team. The next week, he does not turn the football over against a tremendous Los Angeles Rams defense. Elite. Aaron Donald in his face all the time. Put him in position to win. Had it at a one-score game. Defense at a third down seven uh, with, with two minutes to go. Jared Goff, an immobile quarterback, we believe, runs for the first down. Dak never gets a chance to touch the ball. Year after that, San Francisco didn't play great, but fourth down, maybe this fourth and a mile for Dallas. This is before the play where Dak tried the quarterback draw was 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 tackled, and the clock ran out. It was a horrendous call as well. Remember, drive before that, Dallas is down six. They're at they're at midfield. Dak is pressured. I mean, it has, by the way, he, he actually uh, was pressured. I think twenty times that game, so that matters uh, a little bit. Uh, Dak rolls out to his right. Is pressured by like two or three 49ers uncorks a beautiful pass. Put it in the only spot where Cedric Wilson could go get it. And it goes through his hands. Would have probably set up Dallas inside the, inside the red zone. And good chance they would have scored and won the game. Playoff game after that. Tampa Bay. You remember the, you remember the, the, the narrative going that game? Well, Tampa Bay's eight, nine. Tom's had Tom Brady's of the worst year of his career. We trust them more when we do Dallas and Dak Prescott. Dallas hadn't won a road playoff game since the 1992 NFC title game. Uh, when Jimmy Johnson famously said, how about them Cowboys? We remember that. And Dak Prescott went on the road to Tampa Bay, a team that was only two years removed from a Super Bowl victory with all the pressure on the world in him. All eyes on him. And through five touchdown passes and had a QBR. I shouldn't say a QBR. Yeah, he had a QBR of 96 on 0-100 to 100 and a pass rating well over 100. The last game against San Francisco, he played bad. I will not hide from that, and I think neither will Dak. But if we're talking, I, I've heard, you know, are the Cowboys contenders, are they contenders? And we, we've had that discussion over and over and over. But when I hear people talk about, well, the thing holding them back is Dak Prescott. It's hilarious. Cute even. Year ago, he had CeeDee Lamb, who's elite. He proved I have some doubts about CeeDee Lamb coming that season. Left the season with no doubts. He's an elite wide receiver. He's a true number one. The rest of the receiving core was last in the NFL in yards of separation per play. And the offensive line was bottom five in pass block win rate, and Dak still led them when he was healthy to being the number one offense in the NFL and led them to a victory over the greatest quarterback of all time and, as a matter of fact, sent him into retirement. There's plenty of reasons to believe the Cowboys can make a run. There's some reasons to believe they can't. Most of it being previous history. Cowboys being the Cowboys. But the notion that Dak's going to be the one that holds the back? Seems a bit, uh, seems a bit over the top, if I do say so myself. I got to defend my guy. I have a feeling throughout the, um, throughout the season, 
when I do carving up the context on Wednesday, I have a feeling I'm going to be doing a lot of Dak Prescott segments. Um, and listen, like I said, I, I said this year for, for the Dallas Cowboys, I said it's the Yoda season. And when I mean that, I say, do or do not. There is no try. You know, that line from Empire Strikes Back. And I said, this is this feels like the vibes are very odd around Dallas. I don't know if it's good or bad. So I said, I don't think this is going to be the year where they have a great offense or they and they go out in round one or they go out in round two against San Francisco. To me, it's they're going to be a fringe playoff team to barely to either barely sneak in or miss out, or they're going to the NFC Championship game. I actually don't think there's an in between. Either they're mediocre, average, or a win away from the Super Bowl. Like that's that's where I think they are right now. So I think they're uh, they're not spotting that. I will say this: aside from Dak, I don't have any questions about Dak. The defense to me is going to be one of the bigger reasons they get there. Obviously, we know Micah Parsons is and what he represents. Uh, I think he's a top three defensive player in the National Football League. It's, I haven't checked Vegas to see what the uh, defensive player of the year odds are. Uh, but you got Trayvon Diggs, you got Stephon Gilmore. They just added in the offseason. again. Dallas is now Mozzie Smith. Remember, we did that draft show on the Grid Network, uh, which was a blast, by the way, and had a bunch of Cowboys fans there. You had Ryan Flowers, you had Barry Grant Jr., you had Mike Guido. I think that was the Cowboys fans we had there. And the Cowboys need a tight end. They draft Mozzie Smith, and uh, it's 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 the reaction didn't go over so well, and thus far, he has struggled quite a bit in the preseason. So... Uh, he's remain. He remains to be seen. He hasn't even played a, a real game in the NFL yet, so you got got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But they they kind of needed a tight end. I think Michael Mayer, the kid who reminded a lot of us of, of Jason Witten, he played at Notre Dame. He's available. I think the Raiders ended up taking him. So I also said Dallas should have taken Jalen Hyatt, and I feel like that's a decision win or lose they're going to regret right off the bat in Week One against the Giants. What was scares? I I really hope for Dallas's sake they put Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Hyatt. I really do because he's a, he's one of the better cover corners that we've seen in the past decade and a half. I shouldn't say decade, decade. That's the because Champ Bailey was playing 15 year. Champ Bailey was a monster. But if you put Trayvon Diggs on Jalen Hyatt, you know, guys, I, last year, how every time Jalen, uh, Trayvon Diggs got beaten a double move, and I like Trayvon, and I thought he improved significantly last year, but I would sing Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Like I'd sing him a, another line more and more because he, he gamble on a, on a double move. I feel like Jalen's going to get him on one of those. I, I feel like he is. He, he looks great, by the way, in the preseason. Great for the Giants. Like I said, I, I've and I talked about this uh, on Monday that I'm. I feel like I had a bad outlook on the Giants all off season, saying, "Oh, they're going to take a step back." Giving Daniel Jones the big contract was a mistake, which I think giving forty million dollars is nuts. So, but you draft Jalen Hyatt, you trade for Day- Darren Waller, you bring back Saquon Barkley. Offensive line's good. Defense is young and getting better. Like, I, I, I'm kind of leaning toward the Giants being in the playoffs this year, once again. Also putting together my AFC and NFC predictions, it's AFC is so tough to predict. I, I kind of know who's going to be in the NFC. I really do. I, I've got like six of the teams down that I feel like is going to get in in that last seven spot. I, I won't spoil who it is, but there's a couple of playoff teams and then one team that didn't make the playoffs, and I'm like, okay, are they going to get in? Who's... And then the a- the AFC, it's chaos. Like I know Kansas City's getting in, knocking when Mahomes stays healthy. They're they're a lock. They're getting in the playoffs. Cincinnati, assuming Burrow comes back and they tread water without him, they'll get in. Uh, I love Jacksonville. That's a terrible division. I think Jacksonville could get the one seed in large part because of that. I think they get in. 
Aside from that, it's a free for- I'm not sure the Buffalo Bills are going to make the playoffs. They had a horrible finish to last season. They looked bad uh, thus far. Again, I don't want to overact preseason, but they were playing the Pittsburgh starters. And again, some of this might be that Pittsburgh is the second best defense in football or the best defense if you compare them to San Francisco. But I don't see an avenue which the Buffalo Bills got better this year. I don't. Yeah, the Stephon Diggs drama. You lose your defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. You have a Josh Allen who is a big year for him to, to kind of prove that he can get back to being the Josh Allen that he was with Brian Dable. I, I know a lot of folks are talking about Jonathan Taylor to, to, to Indianapolis. He is in Indianapolis. Uh, to Buffalo. Okay, it helped, but that's not – like I said, when I was doing AFC East strengths and weaknesses and I started with Buffalo, I said their biggest weakness is that Josh Allen oftentimes has to be Superman. In, in some part, because the offensive line isn't great, just lost a starter. And the wide receiving core, aside from Diggs, among playoff teams, it's I don't know if we give it enough attention because Josh Allen's so great, but uh, it's it's been better. It, it, it's been better. I don't know. Now, I do like Kincaid that they drafted. Uh, Preston Moore should be stopping by in a few minutes. Uh, uh, just sent me a DM, said he'd be, he'd be ready to ready to go pretty soon. So while we wait for him, uh, if, if we have time, depending on whether he comes on the next few minutes or not, I can go ahead and get into the Kenny Pickett uh, segment. Uh, again, if he, if he hops on early on, then we'll, we'll cut right to him because we you know, certainly wanna, don't want to waste uh, the time of our guests. But Kenny Pickett. So played last night against the Atlanta Falcons. Mike Tomlin's one of those coaches. You know, he, he's, he's kind of old school in this regard. Andy Reid is even to a certain degree. We think of Andy Reid as this you know, even at his age, very innovative, very creative, very um, willing to change with the times. It's often been my criticism of Belichick is that he hasn't. But Mike Tomlin's a guy, he plays guys in the preseason. I mean, I'm watching that game last night, and TJ Watt's in. I'm like, God, get TJ Watt out of there. I don't want to see him in the preseason. It's the best defensive player in football. Get him out of there. I don't, I don't want to see TJ Watt in the preseason. I want us to screw up our season before we even play a real game. But the Steelers finished the preseason 3-0. Unlike Ravens fans, that doesn't matter to me. And I watched Kenny Pickett. And I watch watch all three preseason games. Against Tampa, against Buffalo, and against Atlanta. I'm like, man, this kid looks good. He he looks – I I had my stat prediction for him this year. He might exceed it. Let's check Kenny Pickett's preseason numbers. Again, it is just preseason, but it's something. Two touchdowns, no picks, completes 86 Percent of his passes, 13 yards per attempt. And you see it right there, a perfect passer rating, 158.3. Now, are his regular season numbers going to replicate that? No, they're not. He's not completing 86% of his of your passes. You'd have to throw like a 20 check downs a game. Your offense is going anywhere. But it's like I talked about, though, with Kenny Pickett. It was two or three weeks ago when there was a report from the NFL Network I apologize, I forget who the journalist was that was talking about this, that was covering Steelers training camp and saying that Kenny Pickett, they they trust him so much more to push the ball down the field. I mean, first play, and you saw the play to, to George Pickens, who I said is going to have a monster season. And he's going to have double-digit touchdowns, over 1,000 yards. He's going to be huge this year. But you saw them push the ball down the field to George Pickens, which they have done all throughout training camp. Like last year and the year before that, certainly with an old Big Ben, the Steelers were very vanilla especially given the fact they didn't have a great offensive line, so they had to get the ball out quick. They're not pushing the ball down the field because an old Big Ben, and then this past year, you had Mitch Trubisky start the season. Then he had a young Kenny Pickett, a rookie Kenny Pickett. Uh, Again, I'm always, always, always in favor of playing a rookie. It's what I talked about with Anthony Richardson. Always in favor of playing a rookie right off the bat. And 
You saw the last year, though, it got it got off to a rough start, but won six of the last seven games. Can he pick it play better toward the end of the year? He had a big game against the Cleveland Browns in the season finale to almost get Pittsburgh into last year's postseason. And I think when you talk about the year one to year two improvement, I did a segment on that, that we've seen a lot of very talented, very good quarterbacks in the NFL that either had subpar rookie years or terrible rookie years. Jared Goff's a prime example. Jared Goff was, was a bust his rookie year. Year two gets Sean McVay and he, he lights the world on fire. When think of Jared Goff as like a fringe top 10 guy. I think by the end of the season, we might be having the same opinion of Kenny Pickett. So I put down my, if I still have it in my notes, uh, Kenny Pickett's, my prediction for Kenny Pickett's stat line uh, this season, because I think he's going to have a, a, a big 2023. Not like put himself in the MVP discussion, but yeah, here's what I put. I, I wish I on the, on the graphic. But I said 28 touchdowns, 10 picks, about 230 yards per game. I may have to up that a little bit, complete 65% of his passes, have a 91 passer rating, and the Steelers will go 11-6. and six. Like, that's my prediction for Pittsburgh. Again, I'll do my full NFL predictions in a couple of weeks, but that's that's kind of where I'm at with, with, with Pickett. Like, I think he's that. Again, he's not he's gonna, not going to blow you away with his talent. His arm isn't that of Allen or Mahomes. His accuracy isn't that of Burrow. His height, physicality isn't that of a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Herbert. But could he be, I don't know, a quarterback you guys know I love? Could he be the AFC's version of Dak Prescott? Except a more mobile version, playing in a functional organization with better weapons? I'm not saying Steelers are going to win the division, although I'm not ruling it out with the Burrow injury, knock on wood, he's healthy. Listen, I don't like the Bengals, but I don't, I don't wish any injury upon anybody, especially one of the stars in the faces of the league. But with Burrow out, potentially five weeks, more or less, the Ravens, again, not going for Lamar's health as well. Love Lamar Jackson. Been defending him for years. Could the door open? Maybe. But I'm feeling 11-6 and six for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they make the playoffs, and I think they win a playoff game. Like, we're talking about some of these AFC teams, like the Chargers and whatnot. Can, 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 you, can we name the last time the Chargers have not let us down in a big moment? It's, 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 been, uh, it's been infrequent, to say the very least. So, I think Kenny Pickett is a big 2023. Again, I, I don't think the preseason is just this... Look into, you know, as I always say, the Cleveland Browns went, oh, I'm sorry, 4-0 in 2017 in the preseason. They didn't win a game in the regular season. 0-16. So, uh, listen, we, we, have a, we have a history of, of, of teams being great in the preseason, being bad in the regular season. Pittsburgh goes 3-0. I don't think it's like a bad omen for them to have a bad regular season. Matter of fact, I, I think it gives a look into, again, Mike Tomlin's one of the few coaches, and, and Pittsburgh's one of the few teams where, the preseason does matter more for them than other teams because you do get to see the starters longer. But you now I love what I saw from Kenny Pickett yesterday. By the way, that Jalen Warren kid, that Jalen Warren for uh, for the Steelers, he had the sixty plus yard run last week against Buffalo. He had another touchdown uh, yesterday. I like him. I, I, I like the kid. I I, I I like him. Yeah, we talk about rosters. I think San Francisco is the best in football. I think Cincinnati's is really good, albeit they lost their two safeties. Pittsburgh might be top five. Now, offensive line is my biggest concern, as I talked about on my strengths and weaknesses for the AFC North on Wednesday. But I believe in Pickett. He's still got to prove it. Still got to prove it. But I believe in Pickett. Najee Harris is a very good running back. Uh, Kenny, uh, sorry, George Pickens is a an elite talent at the wide receiver position. The only reason he was drafted where he was is because he was he wasn't healthy. His last year at Georgia. I saw him play in college. Saw uh, when Georgia went to Neyland Stadium in 2019. I saw him play. And I'm like, 
good Lord, this, this kid doesn't even look like everybody else. So I think Pickens has a huge year. He's shown you that throughout training camp and throughout the preseason. Deontay Johnson's a good wideout. Uh, Pat Fryermuth is a good possession tight end. They added a kid, I think Washington from, uh, from Georgia, you know, very good uh, physical tight end. And then defense, we know what, what, who they are, what they represent. They did not give up 20 points in the last seven games of the season. Think about that. Did not give up 20 points in the last seven games of the NFL season. So, the defense, due to their ability to take the ball away, ability to get to the quarterback, they by them by themselves, they will keep you in games. Like that's, and that's the Mike Tomlin way. He's he's one of the better defensive coaches of our time. We know he's never had a losing record since he became the Steelers head coach, and I think two thousand eight, I think it was. It was 07 or 08 when he took over. Has never had a losing season. And through 15-plus years of being an NFL head coach, that's unprecedented. It's never happened in the history of the league. Andy Reid's had losing seasons. Belichick's had plenty of losing seasons. Landry had losing seasons. Lombardi. I mean, I don't know if Madden did. I don't. I remember talking about John Madden a couple years ago when he when he passed. And his. I think he won like 75% of his games as a coach. Like, we... Because he didn't coach that long, because we remember Madden more for A, the video game, and B, for being a great broadcaster, we often forget how good of a head coach he was. That's his... Go, go check John Madden's winning percentage. It's it's really good. And we think of the Raiders, too, today as this just laughing stock of a franchise. Well, they weren't in the 70s. Not with John Madden. Uh, by the way, preseason games tonight, we've got Lions-Panthers... Again, I, I wish I so you guys know I love Detroit, and I'm going to talk about again Detroit and the other teams, the AFC North strengths and weaknesses. But I, God, I wish Hendon Hooker was healthy. I, I really do. I it's so much more interesting to watch Detroit in the preseason. But you've got the Carolina Panthers. I assume Bryce Young will start again. We're two weeks out in the regular season. I'm still, it's still weird the whole three week preseason game as opposed to the four weeks because. I remember back in the day, it was four preseason games, and the third game was where the offensive starters played. Some offensive starters played the whole first half. They've cut it back more now. So I don't know if it's the preseason week three is the same as it was in years past with the four-game schedule or if the two uh, week, week two of the preseason is like the dress rehearsal game three weeks out of the regular season. So I don't know. But we got Patriots-Titans as well. Uh, that'll be interesting to see Malik Willis-Will Levis uh, battle for the backup job. Right now, I'd honestly give it to, to Willis. And then Chargers-Niners, I don't think it's that interesting uh, unless you want to see Trey Lance. And obviously, I think the Niners will want to show him off, see what other teams want, uh, or see, see what you know other teams might, might might want for for Trey Lance. But yeah, it's a solid preseason schedule at the end. So we've got Bills-Bears. That'll be fun. Cardinals-Vikings. By the way, condolences to my man Joshua Dobbs. Space Dobbs play at the University of Tennessee. Uh, he got traded to NFL Hell in Arizona and is now, I assume, Colt McCoy's backup for a team that I think is undeniably the worst in football. So I, I hate that for my guy. I love Josh Dobbs. Uh, Browns Chiefs, Seahawks Packers. We got Jets Giants. That's a big one because Aaron Rodgers is going to play, according to reports. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, Bengals Commanders, Ravens Bucks. What else we got? We got Dolphins Jags. Raiders, Cowboys, Rams, Broncos. I'm curious if Russell plays. And then on Sunday to round out the preseason, we've got Texans, Saints, CCG Stroud in one last preseason start, we assume, before the regular season kicks off in 13 days. Lions-Chiefs can't come soon enough, folks. Chiefs, by the way, again, favored by by six and a half. I would probably bet them to, to, to cover that spread, but uh, we'll see. But like I said, also, too, 
also too. So obviously college football kicks off next week. I actually saw ESPN's doing college game day tomorrow, which is a blast. Uh, Pat McAfee's on there now, of course. And Florida, Utah plays on Thursday. Cannot wait to watch that. And then you've got, obviously, the games on Saturday. My ball's taken on Virginia. I I, I got to say, I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. Next Friday, we will be debuting a brand new segment regarding the Tennessee Volunteers on a weekly basis, or at least the games they play. I, I don't know if I'll do a, a Vol segment on Fridays on their bye week, but certainly the games are playing, certainly like the big SEC games, your Floridas and your South Carolinas, your Alabamas, late in the season, a huge game against Georgia at Neyland Stadium. Be doing some Tennessee segments. Stay tuned. And I'm not going to give away too much about it yet, but stay tuned. Very excited to, to do that on the show because, hey, go Big Orange to the day I die. I've got, actually, just got a helmet right here. Got, got this helmet from, um, from Dick's Sporting Goods. So I, I might put, I'm trying to find space on the shelf to put it. I need to make that happen, but there you go. Like I said, still, hopefully we can get Preston Moore on pretty soon. Uh, uh, you know, covers the, covers the Cowboys. So hopefully we can get him on the show as soon as possible. And then we can get into all things Cowboys and San Antonio Spurs because I'm very excited to to hear what he what he thinks about about those teams. So, let's see, do we have anything else going on in the world of sports? Let us see here. Okay, uh, Packers. Again, this is six hours ago at the time you're watching this, but the Packers have named Sean Clifford the court backup quarterback to Jordan Love. Preseason numbers are, are solid. They're they're fine. Uh, 84 passer rating, 345 yards, 33 of 45 passing. Uh, so completes over 67% of his passes, one touchdown, two picks. Uh, yeah, 73% completion percentage, 7.6 yards per attempt. So Packers have their backup and there you go. Also too, I hated when I saw this, when they were asking Caleb Williams, have you decided if you're coming out for the, for the 2024 draft? And he said, well, I haven't made a decision yet. It's like, oh my God, why, why, why are we even props to Caleb for, Answering the question better than I probably would have. Like, first of all, I'm focused on the USC season. And secondly, why the heck does this what is, does this concern you? Why does it concern you? Of course, I'm, I'm going to be the number one pick. Maybe the number one pick in the draft. I'm the most hyped first-round prospect since probably three years ago with Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I didn't love that question. But we'll see. I, I think USC is a college football playoff team. Uh, I, I've, I've maintained my college football playoff top four before, and this is like sort of the last the last season where the Power Five matters in college football with some of the conference realignment. But I've got Georgia getting in, Michigan getting in, yes, Tennessee getting in, and USC is the four team. That's who I got. Right now I'm leaning Michigan as my national champion. I'll have a final pick by, by next week. Uh, three straight, I, I feel like I should pick Georgia. I, I like the new quarterback that they put in there, but... Man, three straight national championships. I mean, even Bama wasn't able to pull that off. Remember Bama won in 2011 and 12? We're thinking they're going to win it in 2013. And then Chris Davis happened in the, in the kick six Iron Bowl, which was the greatest ending to a college football game I've ever seen in my life. Sorry, second best ending. to, to that's, that's the best ending in most people's eyes. In my eyes, it's the, the Chase McGrath field goal to beat Alabama. That's, it's, hard to, it's hard to beat, but... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That's how I got in the playoff, though. That's how I got in the playoff. Also, Colorado is going to take on TCU Prime's uh, coaching debut. 
Uh, TCU is a 21-point favorite, so uh, we'll see how that plays out. But uh, there you go. That's the college football schedule. Okay. Uh, so it looks like if our next guest is, is ready to go, give me a, a thumbs up down there if you're if you're ready to rock and roll and and do this segment. Uh, joining the show now is a sports is the sports reporter for KFDA News Channel 10 in Amarillo, Texas, and is the host also of the Zollipod, available on all podcasting platforms. Would you please give a warm welcome to Carving It Up Live? Preston Moore is joining the show. Preston, great to have you on, my man. How you doing? Hey, it's good to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show. I like the little the drum roll intro. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, I got I to give my I got to give my guests a warm welcome. Got to make that happen. Got to make that happen. I appreciate it. I love it. Yeah, yes, sir. So before we get into the Cowboys and the Spurs, because I know you're a big fan of both, you cover both. Um, just tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into this this business, the space of of covering sports, uh, obviously as you do in Texas, and uh, kind of what got you into that. Yeah, great question. Um, so I went to Oklahoma State University where I majored in sports media. It was a lot of fun. Got to do a lot of different stuff with that. So I've always been a big Big 12 fan, been a big you know Dallas Cowboys fan, obviously, uh, as well as San Antonio Spurs, like you mentioned. Um, and then I worked in Florida for a little while outside of the business. And then I got a job back in my hometown of Amarillo, Texas, working for News Channel 10, most watched station in the area, working as a sports reporter. So It's a lot of fun getting to do that. Uh, And I've been doing that for about a year. We cover mostly high school and local sports. We have a double A minor league baseball team here as well that we cover. Um, But yeah, a lot of high school sports, high school football season actually starts tonight. So very big time right now to be in the panhandle of Texas because high school football is huge in Texas, as I'm sure you know. Uh, it's not just huge. It might as well be a religion in Texas. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's huge in that state. No question about it. Um, but uh, let, let's go and get into the Dallas Cowboys. I see you've got your, your, your Dallas hat on. Um, I do. I so, do. Yes. Yeah. So listen, we have big expectations every year for the Dallas Cowboys. That goes without saying, but as I've talked about for mm. the past week or so, there's odd vibes surrounding the Cowboys this year. I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's kind of a, again, I've called it the, the, the Yoda season, do or do not. Like, it's, are they going to break through or is it going to be the same old Cowboys? Uh, simply put, is this Super Bowl bu- or bust for the Dallas Cowboys in 2023? I think it is, and I think that that's what the front office thinks, to be completely honest. I think that, you know, finally cutting the cord on Zeke was a huge decision to make. Uh, And then I also think that when it comes to letting Mike McCarthy call the plays and doing things like that, that's a huge deal. Uh, I mean, there's so many shifts, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You can look at the defense and you can say, I think that they have it covered. I think that they've been in charge of things. You know, Dan Quinn has obviously been a really phenomenal piece for them. Uh, And Micah Parsons, Trayvon Diggs, Leighton Vander Esch, they have that core set pretty well. They've done well. Uh, But on the offensive side of the ball, it's almost certain that – this is a do or die season. They're saying they're putting a lot of the offense in Zach's hands. They brought in Brandon Cooks to, you know, uh, effectively help the receiving core quite a lot, hopefully. And I do think it's do or die. I think that it's a time for Mike McCarthy to say, all right, put your money where your mouth is. You want to play call? Here you go. You can call the plays. You can run the team. And then if Dak likes it, if you want to center your offense around Dak, that's great. Put it around Dak and let's see if he is the guy that a lot of people say he is. Personally, I say he is. You know, if he is that kind of guy who can lead your team to a Super Bowl, this is his chance to show it. You got rid of Kellen Moore. He got rid of Zeke. If those two were the problem with this roster, this is the most complete roster the Cowboys have had in 10 years, if not in my entire lifetime, preseason, looking at preseason. Obviously, you look at 2016, 
Dak and Zeke were rookies. We didn't think that that was going to happen the way it did, and it just did. 2014, you could make a case for, but we didn't know DeMarco Murray was going to do that that year. He was phenomenal that year. He kind of came onto the scene kind of unexpectedly in a way. So when you look at this season ahead of it, uh, I do think that it's do or die. I think the Yoda season, the way you said that, I think that that's a great way to put it, frankly, because it is that. That's just the vibe that I get around this team right now. So, yeah, I have to I have to agree with you there. I think it's Super Bowl or bust or at least bare minimum make the NFC championship game. There's no reason why they shouldn't this year. They have a top three, if not a top one roster in the NFC right now. So there's no reason for them not to. They have a proven coach who has won a Super Bowl before. They have firepower in almost every personnel group on the field, offense and defense. There's no reason that they shouldn't make the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl. That's a great point you make. And I, I think, you know, for Dallas, there's been a lot of discussion in the national media about how, hey, would this be a successful season if they make the NFC title game? I don't know if I'd call it successful. It'd certainly be a, a huge step in the right direction, just given the the historical precedent of it, given that they haven't done it in almost three decades. And I think, too, you consider the roster. And I, I guess I, I think the defense could be top five in the NFL. I think the defense, which was already good, got better. Mm-hmm with the addition of Stephon Gilmore. And it's also the fact that the NFC is probably the weakest that it's been uh, in, in decades. Uh, San Francisco, we yeah. know what they represent as a roster, but uh, and I, I love Brock Purdy, but you know we'll, we'll see if he's able to, to make that jump in year two. you got Philadelphia, who lost uh, both of their coordinators. you got lost some, some starters on defense. Uh, I really like Detroit. I don't think they're a contender. So, listen, listen there's there's a lot of questions. The NFC, Dallas certainly has some of them, but it, it's not completely out of the question. Matter of fact, it's, it's really the expectation for them to at least be, as you mentioned, uh, the final two, uh, among the final two in, in the NFC. See, also, uh, you and I are both uh, Dak Prescott guys. I Man, I'm wearing his, his freaking hat for crying out loud. <laughs> uh, but I, and I, t- I did a segment on him earlier in the show about how you know we often, of course, the blame is going to go on quarterbacks and coaches when you lose playoff games. That's just how the business works. Right. But it's aside from this past game against San Francisco, the notion that he's this, this, this like James Harden esque playoff choker is just it, it, it's overblown. Um, but last year, obviously, the picks were the issue. Some of them were not his fault. Some were off the hands of receivers miscommunication, and some of them were just flat out bad reads. I remember a pick against Washington at the end of the season where it's like I'm not even sure what he was thinking. Throw the ball. Uh, the pick against the second pick against San Francisco was a horrible decision. So uh, talk mm-hmm. about the Dax picks, and do you think you mentioned the offense being more Dax hands this year? Do you think those are going to be reduced this year because Dak has historically not been a high turnover guy? Yeah, this is interesting to me because Dak, we know Dak to not be a high turnover guy. You know, this isn't something that happens, you know, late in quarterbacks careers. I don't think we see this a lot of the time where guys who don't turn the ball over much suddenly just turn the ball over more than anyone in the league for two, three years. That doesn't really happen unless they really switch up the scheme, the offensive coordinator, which hasn't happened until this offseason. So that, you know, that doesn't really, you can't apply that right here. That being said, with Dak's picks, you mentioned it. It was, and I know that, you know, I hate to be the Cowboys fan that makes excuses for Dak. I really do. He made some bad decisions. You're absolutely right. He had some bad, you know, he had some bad throws, point blank. I mean, that is what it is. But at the same time, when there are YouTube compilations of interceptions bouncing off of your receiver's hands, or interceptions not cutting over in front of the safety instead of going behind them, which is just a misread of the defense on the receiver's part. When there are YouTube compilations of eight, nine picks of that happening in one season to one guy, it's a little uncanny. It's a little odd. And, you know, it just, 
the the biggest thing to me was that Jaguars game. I think that we all oh my probably gosh, remember I remember talking overtime. about the next day. It's like the first or yeah. second play of overtime. We got the ball. We're feeling good. We got the first drive. We're gonna go down there and score, win the game. It's gonna be fine. Bam! Bounces right off of Noah Brown's hands. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that happens when Noah Brown is your wide receiver too. Noah Brown is now listed as wide receiver four on the Houston Texans. Yeah. Let, let, just think about that. You know, this was Dak Prescott's wide receiver two for most of the year last year. And he was wide, he's wide receiver four now on one of the worst teams in the league. It's not inaccurate to say that Dak had no receivers outside of CeeDee Lamb who could create separation from their defender. And Kellen Moore was pretty notorious, and he's kind of started to do this a little bit in Los Angeles already, of drawing up pass routes where the receivers are all kind of clumped in the same place. They don't have separation from each other. And when your receivers can't create separation from the defenders and your offensive coordinator isn't letting your receivers take separation from each other, it's a recipe for picks. I don't care who your quarterback is. I don't. And so I believe that CeeDee Lamb was the only receiver on the Dallas Cowboys last year, it, you can do your own research. I'm not sure if this is accurate. I know that it's a number like this. I believe CeeDee Lamb was the only receiver on the Dallas Cowboys last year to average over two or three yards per separation from their defender per catch. And others, such as Michael Gallup, such as uh, Dalton Schultz, were like bottom 10 in the league. So when you look at that, I do think that it's safe to say that hopefully this was a fluke. Hopefully this doesn't continue. Hopefully this doesn't happen again. I don't think it will, um, especially with all of the hype around Mike McCarthy's new offense, all the hype around the way it's supposed to be, you know, revolving around Dak. One thing that everyone has said about Dak from the beginning is he's a very cerebral quarterback. They praise what he can do at the line of scrimmage, the way he can read defenses and dissect them. They've compared him, many com have compared him to Tom Brady in that sense. I'm not saying he is Tom Brady, obviously. Sure. That would be a great overstatement. But they've compared him to Tom Brady when it comes to that specific skill. And if this offense is centered around Dak, and if he can do the things pre-snap that we think and we say he can do, then I see no reason why he should lead the league in interceptions again this year. I truly think it was a fluke. I hope I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'll be very upset. But I I don't really think that I don't think that the interceptions will be a problem, especially when you add on the other side of CD Lamb, one of the fastest receivers and most consistent receivers, no matter what offense he's in, in the entire league, Brandon Cooks. Yeah, no question about it. And you, you mentioned a point that I have discussed ad nauseum going back to last season that, as you mentioned, outside of CeeDee Lamb, uh, the Cowboys, I believe, were bottom of the NFL in yards of separation per play. So, uh, you know, the inability to get open is is not just completely on the quarterback. And so I remember there's a, there was a stat about two and the Dolphins receivers, not to take a shot at two because he's a good player, um, that, that was sort of on the other side of that spectrum. So that's going to be a question for Dallas this year. Uh, last Cowboys question. Um, th there's been – I don't really get this, but there's been a lot of buzz – around Jonathan Taylor potentially being traded there. Uh, again, I don't get it because you have Tony Pollard, albeit coming back from injury. You've got Deuce Vaughn as kind of like you're playing your Darren Sproles role. Uh, they've got some other nice running backs there, uh, and they, they've always been able to run the football pretty effectively with uh, you know with this offensive line. Do you think there's an avenue in which they do make a deal for Jonathan Taylor? No. <laughs> okay. I mean, the short answer, no. I, I don't really see that 
My main goal for Jonathan Taylor is anywhere but Philly. I'm okay with him going anywhere else. I know there's been buzz around him and the Eagles. And, you know, I mean, obviously the DeMarco Murray experiment didn't work very well in Philly. So I would hope that if Jonathan Taylor went there, it wouldn't work. But I think Taylor is a little bit more of an elite running back uh, than Murray was. I think Murray had one really, really, really good season behind a really historically good offensive line uh, that allowed him to do that and exercise his skills in that way. As far as Jonathan Taylor and the Cowboys, I don't really see it. I think that they're going to bank on Tony Pollard. And I think that Deuce Vaughn has been one of the biggest surprises uh, of training camp and of the preseason. So I think that if they can use him, they're going to use him. Malik Davis, Rico Dowdle, they have a deep backfield that they do like. And if we know one thing about the Cowboys, they kind of proved this maybe a little wrong over this offseason in all the best ways with Stephon Gilmore, with Brandon Cooks, making the making big moves. Uh, but if we know one thing about the Cowboys historically, they don't really go out of their way uh, to trade for big guys. They don't really go out of their way to do that, especially over the last 10 years. They always stick with their guys. They like their guys. They kept, I mean, even on the coaching staff, they kept Jason Garrett long after he had, you know, long after his seat was more than hot. So yeah, uh, to put it that way, but yeah, I don't see, I don't see a Jonathan Taylor deal coming. I would be surprised. I'd be okay with it. I, I would welcome him for sure. I think he's a great running back, but I don't think that, especially with the Colts asking price and the shelf life that running backs have in this day and age, I don't necessarily want him if we're going to give up what they want. I don't want to give up a first. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, do you have a Super Bowl prediction yet? I don't. I haven't gone through. And, I, you know, I, man, I'm one of those Cowboys fans that every single year, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> really hey, fan. hey, listen, we've got some people and, here at this network, yeah. the Cowboys camp, and you need to check them out. They're, they're right there with you. Okay. So it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, well, and you know, the thing is about this season, I feel like I'm a little validated in that. I was on a radio show a couple weeks ago saying kind of what you said. I didn't call it the Yoda season. I really like that. I wish I'd have thought of that before you. <laughs> I love that. I might steal it. Um, but I'll give you I'll give you credit. I'll, I'll, I'll give you credit. I'll shout out your podcast if I do. But that being Appreciate said, it. with the situation going into the season, again, 2016, 2014, a lot of these really good years that we know about that we remember recently in Cowboys history where we had a chance to win a Super Bowl, had a chance to make a deep playoff run. A lot of those seasons, we didn't know that we were going to be in that position. Yeah, we had the typical Cowboys fans. This is our year. We're going to win it all. You know, we do that every year. That's just the way it is. We always feel confident. We're made to feel confident. I think the Cowboys PR does a really great job at making us feel confident. Um, I think they're some of the best PR in the world at that. I think yeah. Jerry is a phenomenal business owner and it shows that being said, uh, when it comes to this season, I truly believe that the Cowboys will make the Super Bowl. And I hate to, I hate to be that, that Cowboys fan again, but this is the most legitimate case that you can make for the Cowboys. You mentioned the weakness of the NFC. It's wide open. The Eagles lost what? Seven starters, eight starters. And both their coordinators. I don't think they're coming back the way that they were. I think people are really high on the Eagles, and I don't see it. I'm obviously a little anti-Eagles biased, but losing both your coordinators and more than five starters uh, from a Super Bowl team is a big deal. It's a big deal regardless of how you slice it. Sure. So I I do think that the NFC is pretty wide open. I don't think the 49ers have the answer at quarterback, and the Cowboys seem to have by a sizable margin, if you ask me, the best roster preseason in the entire NFC. Wow. So I don't see why I shouldn't predict them to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I'm a little biased, but 
I don't see why I shouldn't predict it. And then on the AFC side, man, I, I'm a huge Patrick Mahomes fan. I'm from the panhandle of Texas. I've been watching him since his Texas Tech days. And, you know, I would love nothing more than to see a Cowboys Chiefs Super Bowl, personally. I don't know if the Cowboys could win that. I certainly hope that they could. Uh, But, yeah, I think that that would be my Super Bowl prediction right now without, you know, going in depth and looking at the schedule quite yet. But I do think Cowboys Chiefs is where I'm going to have to lean right now. Okay. Well, listen, we know the Super Bowl, that this goes without saying, gets a massive number. Can you imagine a Cowboys Chiefs Super Bowl? That would probably be the highest rated game in the history of the NFL. Seriously. It might it might break cable television. Like, <laughs> yeah, it could. The, I, streaming I'm, I'm and yeah. Guy, I'm just the guy they pay to go on, on camera. I don't know all the engineering that goes behind it, uh, behind running a cable television show, all that stuff. I know I have friends who do that for us locally, obviously coworkers, but... Uh, that being said, I don't necessarily think that uh, I think that they would have to make some preparations if it were a Cowboys Chiefs Super Bowl. That would be a huge deal. And I'm oh certain gosh. Roger Goodell would be overjoyed. Absolutely. No question about it. Now, shifting to the NBA again, you're a big San Antonio Spurs fan, and they have been the topic of conversation at length. Uh, certainly more than we've seen for a lottery team in a while, given the fact that they drafted Victor Wimbanyama with the number one overall pick. Uh, your expectations, I, I don't know if the Spurs uh, have enough talent to be a playoff team, probably not even a play-in team this year, but what's your expectation, ex- uh, expectations for, for Wimby this season? My expectation for Wimby this season, it, it really depends on what they do concerning his minutes, his playing mm-hmm. time. I think that is going to be a huge factor. I think Wemby has the potential to average 15, 10, and two and a half blocks. Like, I think he has the potential to be an all-star rookie season, depending on how many minutes they give him and how often they play him. Obviously, load management is a huge part of the game now. I hate it, uh, but it is something that the Spurs kind of pioneered. I was going to say they created it. Parker. Yeah, no, I know. I don't like it. I I don't like the way that it is, but I think with older players, I understand it. And that's why I was kind of, you know, I never really – I never really uh, was anti-load management whenever it was Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu. Those guys were getting old, and obviously they wanted to keep them around as long as they could. Uh, but whenever Kawhi Leonard starts doing it, and he's in what should be the prime of his career, that's when I start looking at it. And I'm like, okay, what are we doing here? What are we really doing here? we got to play regular season games. You can't just suit up for the playoffs and hope it works because obviously that hasn't worked in L.A. for them. Going back to Victor Wembanyama, expectations for him, I think he has, like I said, the potential – to average 15 and 10, two and a half blocks. That said, will he? I don't know. It depends on how often they play him, how long they play him. I do think they're going to play him a good bit of time. I do think that he's going to get a good bit of playing time. I think they want to get that, you know, that experience for him. But that being said, we'll we'll have to see where it goes. I think that second summer league game he played in was a very big deal. I think that that was kind of really important for him. I know that the plan from the jump was to have two games for him. And then let him rest for a little bit. He'd been playing up until the draft over in the, at Mets 92 in France. So, you know, for him to, to come in, it's a big deal. And I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but I do think that he's going to play enough to average a double-double, I hope. And I do think that he has the potential to be the first rookie all-star since Blake Griffin. I certainly hope so. Wow. Um, that being said, if he doesn't make it, I think that the expectations on this kid – have been sky high and I've been the first one to say, Hey, let's, let's pump the brakes for a second here. This kid's 19. Like he's not 
you know, just going to come on and be the greatest basketball player you've ever seen in year one. LeBron James didn't do that. And the hype around him was astronomical. Yeah, I think Victor Wembanyama has the potential to be one of the greatest to ever play the game. I do believe that. But, I mean, you can't put expectations on this kid. You got talking heads on national television that are saying if he's not top five all time, he's a disappointment. What are you talking about? I disagree about? with that, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, That's I completely insane. disagree with that. Anyone who's saying something like that about a 19-year-old kid needs to get off TV. I'm sorry. Like, I just think that that is the most insane thing. I think it's immoral, frankly, to do oh, to wow. a 19-year-old kid. I don't think it's right. I don't, it's not fair to put expectations like that on a kid like this. You know, obviously he has sky high potential. I think his floor is a solid starter in the NBA for 10 years. Hmm. Injuries, if he doesn't get hurt, I think that's his floor. I don't think it's even, I think that would be his bust, basically, is if he turned into a perennial NBA starter that never made an all-star game. I think that that is the worst he will be, barring any career-ending injuries. Um, but yeah, I think as far as the Spurs go, I think that they, again, have potential to be in that ninth, 10th spot in the play-in. I think it would be cool. I don't know if they make it. I could see it happening. And then if that happens, obviously, there is a route for the 10 seed to sneak into the playoffs um, through that way. I don't think they would make it past the first round if they managed to make it there. Um, but that being said, yeah, I, I don't know. It all really hinges on the minutes that they give him. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited uh, for basketball to be back in San Antonio, exciting sure. basketball. You know, I think a lot of Spurs fans like myself are, are certainly very excited for that. And the thing about the Spurs, and I talked about this leading into the draft, that was just, I, I, I think it was, is kind of like a, I don't believe in basketball gods, but there's certain things that happen that make you question things that, you know, when the Spurs have been the premier organization when it comes to to scouting international players. That I mean, Tony Parker and, and Ginobili and, and and other players, etc. Uh, for for them to sort of almost be rewarded in a sense to get one of the better prospects we've seen in some time uh, from France, obviously seems to be almost like a reward for years of hard work and and, and being a great organization. Uh, do you, the, the, you see? You talk about the ex expectations are so you're probably you probably won't love this question, but do you think Wimby is the greatest prospect prospect since LeBron? Yeah. Yeah. I think prospect since LeBron. Yeah. I think that's totally fair to say. I think what he displays on the court in terms of his skill, in terms of his ball handling, you know, being able to shoot the way he can, being able to do things that no one else has done on a basketball court. You know, you talk about the floaters he pulls up from, from the three point line and just drills it. You talk about just the way he can block someone from the three point line when he's standing at the elbow, you know, I mean, just the things that he can do, sheer just based off of his sheer build alone it's it's an automatic natural disadvantage to other yeah. players on the court I mean you saw it in summer league the three-point shots he was blocking that was the most impressive thing to me about his summer league games they weren't necessarily his dunks they wasn't necessarily he had some great passes that I'm really excited about I certainly hope his passing game can develop into more of a Jokic type passer not that good obviously but Sure. I mean, it would be great. That would be that would be awesome, actually, now that I think about it. But that being said, uh, I do think that, you know, that's something that excites me. But what excited me the most was seeing the way he was able to block three-point shots when he was feet away. I mean, he was – His he length was is needed. incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the shooters have enough reason, have very valid reason to think that they have enough space to get a shot up because against any other player, they do. But they don't against Victor Wembanyama. 
And that's something that I think is going to just really upset the league. I think that that's really going to come on. And just the things that he can do that other players, bar maybe Chet Holmgren, maybe Giannis, uh, maybe on some of these plays, on some of these highlights, just these little things that he can do that no one else can. I mean, that's really going to be a big deal that defenses, offenses, and defenses uh, are going to have to adjust. They're going to have to adjust to him on both sides of the ball because I do think that he has the potential to change the game. I think that he is the best prospect since LeBron. He might be a better prospect than LeBron. I was wow. a young kid around then. I wasn't really a big, you know, I, I, I was what, I don't even remember four or five years old back then. So I couldn't tell you how great of a prospect LeBron was. I know he was extremely highly touted out of high school, obviously. Um, but that being said, I do think that he, he might be a better prospect than LeBron was. We'll just see how it all pans out. I don't know if he'll have the career LeBron has. I'm a big LeBron fan as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that he is the best prospect since LeBron. And I think that he has the, the, I'm certain he has the potential to have a career as good as LeBron's, if not better. Wow. It's almost better. Potential. The potential. Sure. sure. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen personally as a Spurs fan. Obviously I really hope it does, but I think he has the potential to have that kind of a career. Absolutely. And like you mentioned, going to San Antonio is a big deal. The basketball gods definitely rewarded us. I personally thought it was too good to be true on draft lottery night. Yeah. I was, I was on a cruise. I was a couple drinks in and <laughs> I started crying. Whenever we got the lottery. Like I you won the championship. Like, I cried for like 10 minutes because I'd been so high on Victor Womanyama. I was so excited just for him to get to the league. I was going to be a fan of his, no matter where he went. I just, I wanted to see this kid play. I was really excited. And I was just saying, you know, as long as the Spurs get like a top six pick top four, ideally would be great. I'm not too worried. This is a pretty decent draft class. I'd love, you know, a Scoot Henderson type guy, Ahmed Thompson. You know, I I like this draft class. So I was, I was, I had come to terms with the fact that the Spurs had like a 12% chance of actually getting the number one pick. I'd come to terms with the fact that it probably was not going to happen. So then when it did, I was, I was shocked. So we'll see what happens. But I am, I'm personally very excited. You, you sound like me when the Warriors won the championship last year. I was just bawling my eyes out, man. It was, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, last question uh, before we get out of here. I'm, I'm sort of putting you on the spot with this one, but it has been sort of the topic in the NBA. So neither you or I saw Magic Johnson play, certainly in his prime, um, but it's it's become a discussion, and, and, and some of it has revolved around, like, uh, what is a point guard? Because Steph, uh, Magic didn't always play point guard. Steph has only played point guard. Uh, I'm just going to ask you point blank. Uh, who's the greatest point guard ever? Is it Magic Johnson or is it Steph Curry? I think it's Steph Curry. Wow. I, I okay. think it's Steph Curry. I, it's something that I had been saying. Obviously, I would say that I'm probably a little biased, being that I was born in 1999 and have only been around for Steph Curry. You know, since I've been born, Curry's definitely been one of, if not the best point guard of, of my time being oh, as a basketball fan. Um, and he's changed the way the game is played. I remember when a guy like Trey Young came onto the scene and Trey Young was kind of, you know, he was this exciting kid who could shoot from the logo. And like, he was the first guy to at, at the highest level to play a similar style of game as Steph Curry and do it well and yeah. succeed in that. Because, you know, once Steph Curry started throwing up shots from the logo all the time and just jacking up threes, frankly, you know, that's historically not a smart way to play basketball. But when you're Steph Curry and you can shoot the way he can, you can just jack up threes. That's okay. 
Um, so then all these kids everywhere started to do it. Even players in the NBA started to do it. College basketball, you started seeing it all the time. And uh, But guys couldn't do what Steph Curry could do because they're not Steph Curry. They tried to play like Steph Curry, but they're not. And uh, Trey Young kind of came on and was the first guy to do that. So when I look at Steph Curry, I see a guy who genuinely changed the game of basketball, changed the way it's played. Um, and it's you're starting to see it now more and more with a lot of point guards more like him who can do that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think it's Steph Curry. And I think one more ring and it solidifies it. I don't know if he gets it. Um, I would be happy for him if he did. I think one more ring, it solidifies him as the greatest point guard of all time. And I think that might enter him into a top five all-time discussion with one more ring. We'll see if that actually were to happen or pan out. But I think he's on the cusp of being in that top five, maybe even, you know, again, on the verge of being on the GOAT debate, which is where I kind of see, that's where I see a guy like Tim Duncan's resume. Obviously, again, I'm a Spurs fan, but his resume compares literally to only LeBron and Jordan and, you know, maybe Kobe, but frankly, Kareem too. Yeah, Kareem as well, Kareem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's where you know, I think Steph's on the verge of being at that level of player, and you can't say that about anyone else in the league right now. You can't say that about Kevin Durant, frankly. You can't say that about Giannis, obviously. You can't say that about Jokic. These guys are younger in their career. Um, right now, I think the only guy that you can say that about is Steph Curry. He's on the verge, and I do think that. He is the best point guard of all time. I think you mentioned Magic playing around, playing a, b- a bunch of different positions, obviously. Uh, I I do consider Magic a point guard, but at the same time, Magic had, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think that he did what Steph Curry is able to do. Uh, and Steph Curry has been able to do that with and without great teammates on the court. He's been able to do that with guys like Kevin Durant on his team and Clay Thompson, but he's also been able to play the way he plays and have the kind of success he has on the court without those guys as well and still, you know, make an impact on the game in that way. And I think that speaks volumes. He wasn't just good whenever they had Kevin Durant, you know, their best season, their best record was when they didn't have Kevin Durant. You know, I mean, I, I think that that just goes to show, you know, he is the guy. He's been the guy in Golden State, and I think he's going to continue to be that. And yeah, I, I would put him as the best point guard of all time. See, I and, and see, like I said, I'm a Warriors fan. I have Magic by a slim margin over Steph. Obviously, he's got him in championships. He's got him in MVPs. Um, and certainly he accomplished uh, the, the 12 years of, of his career uh, before, obviously, the HIV diagnosis was as impressive a 12-year resume as we've seen in the history of the game with the titles and the MVPs and whatnot. Uh, the thing that separate step from magic and why I agree with you a title, you know, which would tie magic in, in championships would, su- mm-hmm. uh, would supplant magic as, as the greatest point guard ever. And I do agree with you as well. Would put Steph into the top five all time uh, is the fact that, and I talked about this on my show the other day that Steph's greatest skill, his greatest attribute which is obviously shooting the basketball is the only is the only skill and attribute in the history of the NBA where he's so great at it. We don't even have discussion about, you know, who's, who's, who's second place or who, who's, right. you know, in that discussion, no play. I mean, will is might be the greatest rebounder, but Russell's in, is in his, his ballpark, you know? So we have that discussion with a lot of different things, in the NBA and, he, and frankly in sports. So uh, yeah, I, I think a title and he, he, he surpasses uh, the great Irvin magic Johnson before we mm-hmm. get out of here uh, again. I, I, I talked about it when, right when you came on uh, you got the Zollipod, which goes away from sports a little bit, goes into another Avenue viewers. Talk about that. 
Yeah. So, you know, one thing that I've always been interested in is movies and film. And that's kind of where I made a lot of my friends on Twitter through that space. Um, obviously, more so in the last year, year and a half, I've been much more sports centric uh, just with my job and with everything. But sports has always been my number one passion, my number one love since I was a kid. But I've been really into film. And so a friend of mine and I started a podcast called Zollipod. We like to just talk about movies and also bring people on who work on movies. We have uh, Simon First on. He's a behind the scenes camera operator. He makes all the behind the scenes documentaries that you've seen for Oppenheimer, Dune, Dune Part Two, uh, Nope, uh, just Zack Snyder's Justice League, being the Ricardos, a bunch of really cool movies he's done. Uh, and we're trying to have all kinds of guests on from all kinds of movies, things like that. We've had short filmmakers on. We're still in its early days. We've only released a couple episodes so far. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun so far. Those come out every other Wednesday and we just love talking movies and just kind of why we love them and why the process of making them is so interesting to us. So that's just something that I like to do on the side. Like I mentioned, if you want to, if you want to follow that, it's at Zollipod, Z-O-L-L-Y-P-O-D. It's a lot of fun. Comes out every other Wednesday. And yeah, we, we enjoy talking about movies. We don't talk much sports on there, uh, but that's what I have uh, this kind of stuff for. So yeah. That's dope, man. Preston, appreciate you coming on the show. Hopefully we can do it again sometime and keep doing what you're doing, my man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was, this was great. This was a blast. Yes, sir. Have a good one. That was Preston Moore, News Channel 10, Amarillo, Texas, Zollipod Podcast, as, as we just mentioned. Uh, very, very talented guy in this space in regards to sports, in regards to movies. Uh, he's done a spectacular job. There's no question about it. Uh, and he makes some great points regarding the Cowboys when he was talking about how, like, hey, like we, we, we're often so uh, you know enamored with the, the team from year to year. Again, he mentioned 2014. I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl uh, back in, in 2014. Uh, it's, it's actually – Following the 2014 season is how I became a Cowboys fan for five years, and then I've obviously transitioned to being a Steelers fan. But, uh, but yeah, this is – I don't know if I agree it's the best roster in the conference. I still think that belongs to San Francisco, but is it top three? No question about it. Is it good enough to get to an NFC title game? Undeniable. So I, I'm very fascinated to watch this Cowboys season because, again, and he liked my, my Yoda season phrase for it, it's boomer bust. It's boomer bust for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't think there's an in-between. It's boomer bust. All right. So throughout the last week and leading up to the regular season, which is, again, only 13 days away, ladies and gentlemen, I have been doing segments on each division. So we've done three thus far on the team, all four teams in each respective division, their strengths and their weaknesses. So we've done the two East divisions, AFC East, NFC East. Uh, Wednesday, we did the AFC North. So today, we are going to do the NFC North, uh, which obviously consists of the Vikings, Lions, Packers, and Bears. So we can get the background music going on right now. Let's go and get into the strengths and weaknesses. All right, let's start with the Minnesota Vikings. Their biggest strength is the fact that Cousins and Jefferson are a top five quarterback-receiver tandem at their peak. It's as tough as, 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 again, I think Justin Jefferson to me is undeniably the best receiver of football with the Tyree kill is, is in that discussion. Devonte Adams still is in that discussion as well as plenty of other guys who can make a case Jamar chase. But I think just in terms of his ability to separate speed route running, he's got the whole package. He's got the gritty as well as we all know and love. Uh, he's, he's obviously done an incredible job. Um, 
you know, as the number one receiver for the Vikings. And Kirk Cousins, listen, we, we, we bag on him about how he can't win on Monday Night Football and he can't win the playoffs. Both are completely legitimate criticisms that I have been toward the front of the line in, in, in doing so. But he's a fringe top 10 guy. And he produces every year in the regular season. And listen, Minnesota's defense was horrendous last year. But they listen, they had plenty of offensive playmakers this past year with Thielen, Cook, and TJ Hawkinson. And an assault offensive line. But if, if, if Cousins and Jefferson are on, man, that is tough to stop in the NFC North. Their biggest weakness, however, is a big question mark for me going into this season. If we can pull it off. The secondary was absolutely atrocious a year ago. And they really didn't get better. They drafted a couple of DBs early in the draft, so we'll see how they pan out. But again, draft picks are always question marks. Uh, even the number one pick, Bryce Young. Number one pick of the draft. We don't know if he's going to be great. We think he could. So draft picks are, are, are automatic you know, question marks. Uh, they, they didn't really go out in free agency. Listen, Harrison Smith is still a good player at this stage of his career. This is a Vikings defense that was bottom of the league, toward the bottom of the league at the very least, on in, in terms of pass defense. Even against Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, and see, I was praising Daniel Jones earlier this week. Like, I, he's fine. I don't think he's a world beater. I don't think you're ever going to win a Super Bowl with Daniel Jones, uh, quarterback for the New York Giants. But this is a Vikings defense that for two games last year made Daniel Jones look like a pro bowler. And Daniel Jones only threw 15 touchdown passes last year. And he had me fooled after the wild card game thinking like, hey, maybe Daniel Jones is putting himself into the franchise quarterback discussion. And then the, the I'm sorry, the, the Philadelphia game happened. And that was that. But it's a Vikings defense that has kept them in weight. I shouldn't say kept them. Has, has, has put them in a position where they've had to win a lot of shootouts. And so the Vikings offense is obviously their strength. The defense, I think, will be better, A, because it's hard to be worse than they were last year. And B, they added Brian Flores, and we understand the defensive mind that he is and has been uh, for a very long time, going back to New England and in Miami. And now he's with the Minnesota Vikings. Very, very excited for him. But the, the secondary is, is, is a pretty big question mark and a weakness to my, to, in my belief for the Minnesota Vikings. Moving on to the team that is going to play in the NFC title game. Don't know if they're going to play the Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, or the Philadelphia Eagles, but the Detroit Lions are going there. What's their biggest strength? The offensive line will always give Goff time to deliver to his playmakers. We don't give enough, we don't give enough love to offensive lines as is. Uh, we talk about O-lines like the, the 49ers or the Eagles. Both are great O-lines. Uh, but this, the, again, Panay Sewell leads the line. He's, he's one of the best tackles in the National Football League. Their guards are great. Center's great. So Goff, who's a, a very much a pocket quarterback, very much a, a 1980s, 90s style quarterback. Good arm, accurate, not very mobile, more mobile than like a Mac Jones who can't move at all in and outside the pocket. But Jared Goff's good in that regard. He's going to need an offensive line to protect him to deliver, deliver the ball on time and on target, and he's got this. Detroit's offensive line, they've done a great job addressing it in the draft and otherwise, and so that, that, that line's, again, in an NFC 2, where if they want to get to where I think they're going to get to the NFC title game, they're going to have to go through Philly's great defensive line. San Francisco's loaded defensive line. Dallas is really good to elite defensive line. Even in their own division, they've got some solid defensive lines they got to play. So uh, give the Detroit Lions that, that that for their strength. They've got great playmakers. Jamison Williams will hopefully come back from suspension and, and resemble the guy we saw at Alabama who's so successful. Amonra St. Brown had a big year last year. I think he's going to be even better in 2023. That's the Detroit Lions' big strength. Their weakness, however, while expectations are high, playoff experience is low. Outside of Jared Goff, basically, who's obviously played in a Super Bowl and played in multiple playoff games, Dan Campbell's never been a head coach of a team that's made the playoffs. Numerous teams. It's a very young Lions team. They drafted Jameer Gibbs. Amonra uh, St. Brown, again, defensively, they got Aiden Hutchinson, who I, I still think is going to pan out. 
is one of the better pass rushers, certainly in the NFC North and even beyond that. Uh, you know, Cam Sutton, my guy to Tennessee for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he has some playoff experience, but that's really the question. Niners have been there and done that. Eagles been there and done that. Dallas, we could talk about their playoff resume. Playoff experience isn't an issue for the Dallas Cowboys. So that's what I worry about for the Detroit Lions. Again, you could say, well, what about their defense? What about their defense? They improved the secondary. They're the number one, I'm sorry, number two overall pick last year, Aiden Hutchinson. I think will be even better, more comfortable this year in 2023. I'm not that worried about their defense. It's experience, and that's a very real thing when you go into the playoffs, so that's the biggest weakness for the Detroit Lions. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers, my sister's favorite team. What's their strength? The offensive line and running game will make life easier on their young quarterback. Again, offensive line, I saw a stat that Jordan Love in the preseason, he's got extensive time in the preseason, has not faced a pressure. Dead serious. He's not faced the pressure all preseason long. It's the Packers offensive line. This is why I worry that my biggest concern for the Jets, and I talked about this when I discussed their biggest weakness, is that Aaron Rodgers has never played behind a bad offensive line. He may this year. But for all of the concerns and the criticisms that we've had of Green Bay dating back to when Rodgers first became the starter, like the defenses aren't always great. The wide receiving core isn't always, it doesn't always stack up to some of the other contenders that we've seen in the NFC in recent years. Offensive line, always good. I saw there were rumors that, hey, the Jets, and I talked about this on the show, that, hey, they may trade for David Bakhtiari. The Packers are not trading David Bakhtiari. Not with the young quarterback who has so much to prove this year. So, and again, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, one of the better running back tandems in the NFL. That's going to help Jordan Love big time, take a little bit of pressure and weight off his back in terms of having him throw 30, 40-plus times a game. As I talked about earlier in the show with Dak Prescott, the case is with most quarterbacks in the NFL, even the good ones, the more you throw, the more prone you are to make a mistake. And so being able to, to make life easier, give Jordan Love a situation where instead of facing third and 11 behind the sticks, he's facing third and four. Makes life a lot easier on a young quarterback. The biggest weakness, though, Jordan Love's ceiling, it may not be reached under Matt LaFleur. I'm probably one of the only people in the world that still believes Matt LaFleur is an average to below average head coach. Well, he won 13 games. Three years in a row with the Green Bay Packers. And can you tell me what it amounted to? Please. Mopped by the San Francisco 49ers in 2019. Beaten by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on your home field. And I should say mopped. Beat by the San Francisco 49ers the year after in a game in which they didn't, they being the Niners, score an offensive touchdown. And he still found a way to get beat. Situationally, the floor has been... Iffy at best. He's been, he's been masked by the fact they've had one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play, Aaron Rodgers. And again, I I like Jordan Love. I don't love Love in you know in terms of him being like a franchise guy. I think especially when you consider the expectations coming in, where you had Far for a, a decade and a half, you had Rodgers for almost two decades. So you have all that you know sort of compounding. That to me is going to be a big concern is whether or not Lafour can help Jordan Love get to his peak. Because I'm not going to lie, folks, last year, some of that was on Aaron. Some of that was him aging. Some of that was him being injured. And some of it was, yeah, the play calling wasn't great. The situational football, certainly in the playoffs, at home, has not been good. And Matt LaFleur teams, historically, tend to get pushed around the field a little bit. 
defense. And that goes beyond, obviously, Jordan Love. That goes into the, the, the interior offensive defensive line. So that's going to be a big concern for the Packers. That's why I don't think they're a playoff team this season. And finally, the Chicago Bears, a team I don't really know what to do with this year. What's their biggest strength? Well, the Bears will get the best version of Justin Fields with upgrades on the O-line and receiving core. We know they added DJ Moore in the trade when they gave up the number one overall pick. Added DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers. I've always been a big DJ Moore guy. I've always said like, hey, it's, you know, he's, he's I don't know if he's necessarily a true number one, but it isn't like he's had the greatest the greatest quarterback talent in the past, dating back to Carolina. He's had to work with Justin Fields, probably the most talented guy he's worked with uh, to this point from a quarterback perspective. So I think DJ Moore's going to have a solid year. And again, they uh, they upgraded the offensive line. Drafted my man Darnell Wright out of the University of Tennessee. Big, strong left tackle. I saw a report that Darnell Wright actually got mixed up with the wide receivers in the receiver workouts. And he ended up doing the again the workouts with the receivers, and they said he aced it as a left tackle. So he's athletic, he's big, he's strong, he's a monster. The third pick of the draft, Will Anderson went against him. Remember this game well, Bama versus Tennessee, and Will Anderson barely got a finger on Hinton Hooker because Darnell Wright was there on the offensive line, played one of his best games of his college football career. I think he's a can't-miss player in the NFL, the best left tackle with respect to the kid out of Ohio State. Uh, and again, again, this is a huge bounce back, not bounce back year, but huge, huge prove it year for Justin Fields. What's what's my my rule I, I, I give out when it comes to quarterbacks? And Bill Parcells had the rule that year one is the developmental year. Year two, you need to see a big improvement from year one. And if by year three, you're still not quite certain if he's the guy, you move on. This is that year for Justin Fields. He had a uh, rookie year, but it's his rookie year. It happens. Year two, he showed flashes. And some of his struggles were due to the fact that he literally had no offensive line to speak of. But some of it was not great, accurate passes from the pocket. Has he improved that in the offseason? That remains to be seen. Uh, I believe in him. I like him as a prospect. Liked him out of college in Ohio State. But it remains to be seen. And this is a huge year for Fields and for the Bears. I do think they have the roster and the talent, certainly the offensive side of the ball, to maybe sneak in the playoffs or at least get into the playoff hunt. That's where I view Chicago. And finally, the Bears' biggest weakness. The defense is in a complete rebuild, meaning the offense will need to win shootouts. Now, is Justin Fields, sort of, sort of again, goes back to Justin Fields, is he a guy capable of winning shootouts? He certainly was in college, but that's different when you got Ohio State players everywhere, five stars everywhere. Different reality in the National Football League. And this is the Bears defense, and when they gave up a lot of their starters a year ago, whew, you look at those point totals from those some of those teams they played against. It ain't great. It ain't great. The secondary struggle, the defensive line could not get a hand on quarterbacks on the other side of the line of scrimmage. So this is a concern I have for the Bears. If, they're, if they don't make the playoffs, I think this is going to be the biggest reason why is that their defense just didn't give them enough chances to win games. They're like the opposite of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Jets uh, in that regard. So that's the biggest weakness in my view for the Chicago Bears. So recap before we get out of here. Biggest strengths and weaknesses for teams in the NFC North, starting with the Minnesota Vikings. Their strength, Cousins and Jefferson are a top-five quarterback-receiver tandem at their peak. The Vikings' weakness, secondary was absolutely atrocious a year ago, and they really didn't get better. To the Detroit Lions, offensive line will always give Goff time to deliver to his playmakers. Their weakness, while expectations are high, playoff experience is low. To the Packers, their biggest strength, offensive line and running game will make life easier on their young quarterback. Their biggest weakness is that Jordan Love's ceiling may not be reached under Matt LaFleur. The Bears' biggest strength, finally. Bears will get the best version of Fields with upgrades on the O-line and receiving core. Chicago's biggest weakness, on the other hand, is that the defense is in a complete rebuild, meaning the offense will need to win shootouts. That's where we're at. NFC North's a weird division. 
I saw ESPN did a rankings. Uh, we did a, did a list ranking all eight divisions, like best to to, to weakest. Uh, by the way, how they didn't have the AFC North first is beyond me. I, all four teams are good enough to make the playoffs. All four. The only division that can say that. NFC East could, but I don't think Washington's a, a playoff caliber team. Albeit, I don't think they'll suck, which I think is a bad thing because they won't get a good quarterback in the draft. Point being, the North's a weird division where, again, I, I'm, I'm buying into the Lions this year. Minnesota, again, there's one of those teams I don't know what to do with. Bears, I don't know what to do with. Packers, I'm pretty confident they won't, may, won't make the playoffs. I just want to see what, what Jordan Love's capable of, this being year four. We talk about year three for fields. Jordan Love's got to sit, sit uh, in, the, in, the, in the passenger seat for three years. Actually, actually the man might, might as well have been in the trunk. He hasn't been able to be able to see that much that much game action. So, yeah, North's a weird division. NFC North is the exact opposite. Exact opposite of the of the AFC North. Uh, by the way, I just want to... <laughs> I got to tread lightly when I say this, but then again, I don't really care. Um, so I watched the... Last night, so I was watching the Steelers game, of course. By the way, yesterday I got to see the Red Sox win 17-1 to over the defending champs the day after they got a huge road win uh, in Houston. Got ourselves back in the wild card picture. Mookie Betts, by the way, coming home tonight to Fenway. Red Sox fans, again, the, the game's already started by the time this is aired, but please give him a standing O. Give Mookie some love. That's my guy. I, I was, I'm, I'm, I still have a forgiven. Heim Bloom for trading Mookie Betts. Still have it. We got a good return, but dang, that's Mookie Betts. That's an MVP. Give Mookie a standing ovation, though, Fenway. Come on. Hope we win the series over the Dodgers, but give Mookie a standing O. <laughs> <laughs> but I, again, I gotta, uh, whatever. So I watched the, I watched uh, the arrest of uh, former President Trump uh, yesterday. And, you know, make of it what you will. But uh, I loved when there was all this anticipation on social media about the mugshot. And the medical, I guess his medical report uh, came out. Uh, and you had these NFL fans, these NFL meme accounts saying uh, Donald Trump is 6'3", 215. Basically, he's Lamar Jackson. NBA people saying 6'3", 215. He's Eric Gordon. It's like I, the, the, I find humor out of these these situations. I, I love it. It was, it was, that was, I saw that, and the, again, the anticipation on X – was was incredible. Listen, social media can be a very toxic place. That goes without saying, and I don't think Elon has exactly helped matters by removing the block button, especially among other things. But uh, I don't know. I, I the the buildup was was. I'm not gonna lie to you. It was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. It was kind of fun. I must say. All right, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Big shout out to Preston Moore. You can catch him on KFDA News Channel 10 in Amarillo, Texas, as well as on the Zolly Pod, available on all podcasting platforms. Hope to have him on the show again. And thanks everybody for watching. Be sure to check out Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big, oh, over there. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. 
That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Great show today. Uh, very excited for next week. Last, think about this, folks, last full week without NFL football. I'm talking about real games. Preseason doesn't count. Last full week before the NFL really begins. Just, just, we're, we're, we're this close. 13 days. Cannot wait. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please continue to stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please be sure to take care uh, take care of your physical mental health, obviously. But be sure to contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. Please do that. All right. I'll be back on Monday. Vols segment, a new Vols segment, Tennessee Vols segment, coming to Carving It Up Live starting next Friday before the season opener against Virginia. Very excited about that. So be sure to tune in for that, and we're going to have some fun. So see you all on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Please uh, stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. I kind of love the mugshot. I'm not going to lie. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.